the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great, grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Counting the best of episodes, but then then it would be so then it would be seventy nine. But if you're not counting the best of, then it's episode seventy seven. Cannot count the best ofs. We've had a couple other best ofs, so you oh, can't okay. cannot count the best ofs. And I and I'm going to go a little technical here too. I don't know if we count the episodes where Shane was in Australia and we had Francine and Mikey on. Oh, so I don't know if that's. I don't think we counted them in the the total. So I'm going to say we're at seventy seven. Yes. Sounds good. All right, let's get... What? 77 and a half. Okay, 77.5. Here we go. Welcome in here to the Triple Threat Podcast, episode 77.5 of the Triple Threat Podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always on the two-man power trip, as we're recording this, celebrating our fourth year podcasting anniversary, I'm joined by the one and only JP, John Paz, and on this show, he's back, he's rested, and he is raring to go. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to 2019. Hey, you forgot that in there. You said he's rested and ready to go. You forgot to say rested, tanned, and ready to go. I've uh, been getting a nice wind burn up here in Pittsburgh with the uh, the uh, sudden Arctic blast of, of uh, frigid air. But ready to roll and ready for 2019 going to be a big year in a lot of different ways. So just a regular average day uh, in the Berg uh, during the months of uh, October to what, uh, April? <laughs> I think it's like October to like uh, early September. Like we get that <laughs> nice little warm break in the middle of September somewhere and, and the rest of it's the Arctic tundra. <laughs> well, we are very happy to be back here in 2019. Had a, a very fun holiday. Two weeks of best of episodes First being uh, some classic franchise stories and uh, and some rants, and the second episode being some of the guest stars that we had on. A lot of fun to put those together. Great responses from uh, the listeners, and uh, even chomping at the bit this afternoon, waiting for you to come back. So uh, we got a doozy for you today. So uh, we got a lot of fun topics to cover. 
let, let's see that. Like, I don't like my goggles or anything on doing my safety goggles or we're, we can do this without the safety, the, the uh, safety equipment. <laughs> well, if you have a gag, perhaps you can put a gag in your mouth at, the, <laughs> at this point. But here's what we're going to do. I mean, there's a lot to cover. We've got some some pretty, I would say, relevant topics to the last couple of days. We're just going to get right into it right now. I mean, we never really jump into them this fast, but there's a lot of stuff we got to cover here. So let's get into it. First off, out of the gate, and this is one that you contacted us about and that is the passing of Mean Gene Okerlund. And we've been talking yeah. about it on, on the two-man power trip for the last week. We had on uh, a fellow WWE announcer who's currently with the company named Scott Stanford on earlier in the week to talk about Mean Gene over the last 10 years and getting to work with him. And for our fourth anniversary show, we had on Sid. It's Sid Vicious on the show. So he got to talk about Sid a little bit. And we've been waiting to hear from you, Shane. Obviously, a gut blow again to the professional wrestling world, losing Mean Gene. Such a link to so many different eras, but obviously one of the best ever to hold that microphone and interview anybody in the business. What a damn good guy to boot. I mean, you know, they, you know, there are a lot of good guys in the business, and then there are a lot of assholes in the business. Probably most people would say I'm one of them. Uh, but Gene Oakland was one of the sweethearts in the business. He was a guy I don't. I, I don't know of anybody that I've ever heard say anything bad about uh, Gene, uh, but he was a guy that, you know, first of all, he was the voice of professional wrestling for the tens of millions of people that grew up on the WWF, which, you know, let's face it, has been the predominant company uh, of the last quarter century. Uh, you know, when you hear Gene Okerlund's voice, even people that didn't watch professional wrestling or sports entertainment, whatever you want to call that, uh, new Gene Oakland. Um, you know, when you'd see him, we just saw him recently at a couple of the conventions. Uh, you could see the outpouring of love from the fans. I mean, it was an, an immediate response uh, from the fans when anytime they saw Gene. You know, we Gene had had some you know serious health problems. Uh, uh, you know, over the years, from his eyes to his. his uh, kidney and livers, uh, you know, there was uh, like a litany of things that went wrong, but he always bounced back. And every time I'd see him after, you know, at some point after that, he'd look great and be the same gene. Hey, Shane, hey, franchise, how you doing? And, you know, it just was always up on everything and really, honest to God, loved professional wrestling. Uh, you know, and you could see that, like, when he was performing, when he was on camera, you could see Gene... Uh, evoking and just really setting the mood, you know, whether it was to be a serious mood, a light mood, uh, a tongue-in-cheek comment, whatever, Gene made that show exponentially more entertaining to watch because of his voice, his professionalism, uh, his persona. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, and this is nothing, no slam to any other announcers, but there will never be another Gene Okerlund. Uh, you know, he really represented and personified everything that was good about professional wrestling in the 80s and 90s and, and moving forward, even with his podcast. Uh, you know, irreplaceable. Gene Okerlund, truly irreplaceable to professional wrestling. Do you recall the first time that you met Mean Gene? I do. Uh, the, the first time I went there in 1990, 
uh, you know, it's, a, it's an intimidating place to walk in. Anytime you walk into a new promotion, it's intimidating. But, you know, going from where I had come from into the, w, the then WWF, you know, and these were the guys that were the faces of professional wrestling at that time. You know, so it was a very intimidating place, not least to mention that, you know, you've got Andre the Giants and, and uh, Hulk Hogan's and Paul Orndorff's and Jake Roberts and, you know, all these names that you grew up watching. You know, it was a very intimidating place. Gene made it a point to come while, you know, me, just a snot-nosed kid at the time, came into the dressing room, introduced himself, uh, called me by name, welcomed me there and said, if there's anything you need, anything you need from me, let me know. And always went out of his way to like, if there was something on the TV taping that night, uh, he would come and, you know, obviously having sat in the production meeting, he would know what was that segment was going to be about, but he would ask me and not just me, everybody that this is how professional Gene was that he would professionally come to you and say, is there anything I need to know for the segment? In other words, is there anything you're planning on doing in the segment, in the match, uh, that is going to be implicatory to what the storyline is playing out so that he could then plug it in his commentary. And the only other person I ever saw do that ever had to do it was Joey Styles. And, uh, you know, Gene was, for me, in that first memory of him, uh, he was one of the people that really made me feel comfortably at home in a place that was brand new to me there. And that was, you know, let's face it, you know, most people think of the wrestling business and the larger-than-life personas. Uh, Gene Okerlund was already a household name at that point. There was no need, there were no brownie points being gained by him coming and talking to, to me, who was a nobody at that point in the business. And yet, it had nothing to do with the professional side. That was Gene Okerlund, the person, the man, uh, that he wanted to come and make this kid feel comfortable because I'm sure he thought down the road, if this kid can help us draw, if this kid can be, become a star in the company, uh, he wanted to be one of the first people to make me feel comfortably at home there. And, uh, you know, th those are the types of things that, you know, sometimes get taken for granted by some people. Uh, but for somebody like me, I look back at those and remember those very specifically because, like I said, that was not the norm. That was not something that was ever done to me at any point in my career at that point. Uh, and moving forward, again, he and Joey Styles are the only two people I could think of that had that level of professionalism and, and that personal attention to it where Joey would come around and, and say, hey, uh, you know, that, that, that new movie, did you have a name for it? And if you didn't, he would, you know, like kick around a couple ideas and come back and say, hey, what if you called that this or that? Or, you know, and he'd have input to it. Uh, Gene was the only other person that I had seen ever do that. Or I should say the other way around. Joey was the only person other than Gene I'd ever seen do that. A lot of the tributes are centering around the relationship he had with Hulk Hogan and obviously we see a lot of the clips from the mid-80s of Randy Savage and Roddy Piper and that era, which is really the first, you know, mainstream TV experience that these, you know, the vintage sure. fan does remember. But from all the accounts of everybody that's kind of commented on Gene's death is he brought the best out of the talent. So obviously 
when you're dealing with those three mega super duper stars, it's going to be a walk in the park. But he could bring the best out of everybody he sat with at that podium or at that that backdrop or whatever he was going to be doing that night. Did you see him doing that? Did you see him being able to take a little bit more out of somebody that might not have the wherewithal to do it? Sure. Uh, you know, keep in mind at that time, there were a lot of guys like the Jake Roberts and the Bobby Heenans and the Paul Orndorff that could seamlessly go on camera and do a promo. And then there were others uh, that might not be as good uh, and, you know, may have problems remembering some of the points to, to get across. And Gene would just seamlessly work that into his, to his back and forth with the talent. It wasn't like, Hey, well, what about this? He would, just just imbue it in his commentary and, and the back and forth that he's having that talent. It, it, it came across as extremely normal, and I'm sure to a fan sitting at home, they would think, that must be the easiest job in the world, uh, just sitting there and you know, BSing with these guys. Uh, but if you understand how our business is put together, especially from a promo standpoint, and then you go back and you watch those segments with Gene, it was incredibly deft on his part, uh, just how easy he made it look. And he never made it look, in my experience, he never made it look like he was taking over the segment. It always looked like he was building up the other talent in the segment. So, you know, that there is a fine art to that. You know, if you wanted to go on and just keep flapping your gums and talking in a segment, you know, you suddenly are starting to look like you're becoming the, the main focus of the thing. Gene Okerlund never did that. Gene always made it look like whoever it was he was interviewing was the star. And if there was a point missed that had to be gotten rather than cut and let's shoot that promo again. And by the way, talent, don't forget to mention A, B, and C. Gene would somehow just work that in seamlessly and just imbue it into his commentary uh, or the back and forth of the talent. And in that way, remind the talent that they could then go off and do their tangent from their character standpoint. Uh, again, like in watching those segments, especially now, back then I, I, I could see it, but I didn't, I couldn't quite enunciate on it like I can now, but you go back and you watch it now. And Gene was a master, uh, you know, just to watch how he would take something. And, you know, you'd see like a point that was, you know, you're getting late, you know, there's 15 seconds left in the promo and a major point had been missed, and somehow he would just work that right into the to the last 15 seconds. It was masterful. And, you know, for somebody like Gene that was so damn professional, so good at what he did, uh, to watch him work, like I said, he made it look easy. Uh, that's a sign. That's what delineates a master to me. Because some you can see where they'll have to work at it, uh, or, you know, might have to take five, six, 10, 15, or 20 takes of something to get it across. Gene was one of those guys that was, you know, he wasn't there for the long time. He was there for the right time. You know, he would get in there and do it and hit, hit the promos, and he might have 30, 40, 50 of them to do in a given night on a four-hour taping, and he would get in there and just boom, 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 knock them out, and... uh you know, I'm sure from his point of view, it was, well, we can do these five or 10 or 15 times, or we can do it once or twice and get it right. And he, it never seemed, if you go back and again, watch those segments, 
it doesn't look like Gene's trying to hog the spotlight. It's like he's augmenting the talent and making the talent bigger, which again is the sign of a damned professional announcer. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I'll give everybody a little tip out there. There's a, a clip on YouTube that a British television market had put on YouTube uh, of WWF promos being recorded for broadcasts over their television station. So the WWF filmed them and sent them over to the UK for the WWF's first ever UK tour. So Gene is essentially, he's producing himself, and he's, he's being able to, you know, he's, he's counting himself down, he's bringing in the talent to talk about the specific market and what they're going to be doing and managing each different personality. You know, here he's going to bring in the Islanders that don't speak English. Here he's going to bring in the Hart Foundation where he's got to get both guys, two different personalities over. He's bringing in the Killer Bees. He's bringing in Ricky Steamboat. And like a chameleon, like Ricky Steamboat always says he is, like a chameleon, me and Gene can adapt to each of their styles, and that is a skill that you rarely ever see in a, in a wrestling announcer anymore. True, uh, absolutely, and I'd love to. I'm gonna, you know, I, you know, I'll get that information. So I definitely want to watch that. You know, maybe we can post it up on the uh, the, the Triple Threat Podcast uh, uh, Twitter page because that is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm probably not saying it in the proper words, but if you watch that, you can you'll clearly see. You know what a what a genuine pro uh, Gene Okerlund was, and not in the way that you in our business. You know the larger than life personalities. All of us have the tendency to want to suck the spotlight our way. Uh, Gene never did that. He always took the spotlight and shined it on the other person, and somehow made himself relevant while doing that. That that's a that's an art. I mean, I, I don't know that there's many people or announcers in the wrestling business that could do that, would do it, or would be good at it if they tried. And that was Gene Oakland. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get to your final memories of Mean Gene, uh, I got to ask you now, in the late years of Mean Gene's career uh, in WCW, so we're talking when you got back to WCW in the late 90s and early 2000, you know, Mean yeah. Gene was kind of towards the tail end of being used on a more permanent basis. Now, he still did stuff for WCW, but obviously not on the same level. There was a different direction going. How was he at that point? Because that is where it seems like people who were involved in the business were starting to get really bitter towards a lot of stuff. I and mean, we saw, you know, they gave the exit to Bobby Heenan at one point, And, you know, there was mm -hmm. sort of the edict that maybe the older school guys were going to get phased out. But what do you remember about Gene from those later days at WCW? Uh, my experience with him was I never saw any kind of bitterness in Gene. Uh, that's why I always loved, every time I saw Gene, whether it was a convention, uh, at a show, uh, taping, whatever, I always thoroughly enjoyed seeing Gene. And, and, and I'll, I'll get into a little more of that like on the humorous side with Gene. Uh, but, you know... Look, if there's one thing I know, if he was one of the guys being phased out or as he was being phased out, he was clearly clued in on that. <laughs> he was a very intelligent guy. Um, but Gene wasn't the kind of guy that would come up with, you know, he wasn't a complainer. You know, he wouldn't come and say, oh, these you know, blah, 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 you know, it's not fair. And there was none of that uh, with Gene. You know, every time my recollections of Gene and, and WCW or that he was the same guy I had met in 1990 and the same guy I knew after uh, WCW at the conventions and at the, you know, shows or uh, signings. 
before you see him. Uh, and that'll bring me to my final story with Gene. Uh, we were at Legends of the Ring, and he had had uh, surgery on his eyes. And so he was, you know, wearing the, the dark sunglasses, and he had a, a handler with him, you know, like helping him, like, walk around. It was almost like he was blind, you know, and, and uh, walking. I got in the elevator, and I was just talking to somebody, and, you know, I heard that, you know, that voice that you cannot ignore, right? Gene Okerlund's voice. Franchise? And I, and I didn't even realize he was on the elevator because there were so many people in the elevator. And I said, me, Gene, how you doing, brother? I was talking to him. And I see the glasses, and he's got his hand on the shoulder of the person like, helping him through and stuff. And, you know, I'm asking, like, and he's, he's giving, like, the, the, the load down and stuff, and he said, you're going to have a drink tonight and that kind of thing. And he pulled he pulled the glasses up. There were a couple girls on the elevator. He pulled the glasses up, looking, and he winks. Puts the glasses back down, and I mean, it's perfect, Gene Oakland, right? I mean, he's got the the glasses going on. He's had the surgery on the eyes, and he's got the perfect cover. And now he's just sitting back and he's taking it all in. <laughs> perfect, Gene Oakland. <laughs> uh, when I when I think of Gene, that is like the the, the quintessential Gene Oakland because that was that was him. You know, he was a an incredible pro. I've been over all that. He, he, you know, he was, you know, one of the, the most professional, not the most professional announcer I'd ever worked with. Uh, and again, no slam towards anybody else, just, you know, accolade to Gene Okerlund. But then he, there was also this side of Gene where, you know, uh, uh, euphemistically speaking, he let his hair down, right? And, you know, <laughs> ready to go out and have fun and have a drink and, and, you know, take in the pretty girls and, and, and all of that. Uh, you know, Gene was uh, one of a kind, and like I said earlier, cannot be replaced. And when I say that about WCW, you know, they made him do a couple uh, funny things there at the end. You know, the Pamela Paul shock interactions, uh, the one famous yeah. promo that everybody keeps sharing, uh, where he kind of fires back at the natural born thrillers, and he's calling people pricks, and he's telling them to you know kiss his ass, like just crazy stuff that they did with him at the end. But you know, when you hear more about me and Gene's personality out of the ring, it's uh. It's pretty damn funny that they were able to sync it up pretty uh, pretty good. And obviously, again, a huge, huge, huge loss to the business. I don't know, Shane, if you got to see the clip that they paid uh, to Gene on Raw. And, uh, Hulk Hogan actually was on TV and came back. You know, not not much gets me, uh, you know, a little, uh, a little emotional these days. But when the Hulkster looked up at that screen and, and he said, you know, me and Gene, I love you, and I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> here we go." Yeah. I mean, this—that's it, man. That's that's the that's the glory days right there, and you know, sad, very sad to see me and Gene go. Yeah, no, no question about it. And, and look, uh, with uh, with Hogan, I mean, I, I'm and I'm sure I'm not saying anything that that the Hulkster would disagree with. Gene Okerlund was a very very big part of getting Hulkamania over. Um, you know, that is done like much like Joey Styles did on a much lower level, much smaller level with ECW. Uh, Gene Oakland being the voice of the WWF at that time. Uh, and, and all the things I said earlier previously about his professionalism and the way he would, you know, steer and commandeer a, a promo without taking the promo over, making it about him. Uh, you know, Hogan was one of those guys that didn't necessarily need the direction, very good on promos and you know, getting that character over. Uh, uh, but, you know, Gene was a huge part of that. And, and aside from that, Hogan saying that, 
you know, I, I would have to try to be able to plug people into my brain to be able to see the things that I had seen at that stage of my career, you know, where those guys, uh, you know, they were on the road. We were on the road so long, you know, we were on the road literally for basically the entire year, you know, the, a couple of days here and there, you might get off. I, I would imagine like somebody like Hogan, it was probably pretty much nonstop. And, you know, that Gene was there as part of that, there, you could see that there was a genuine camaraderie between the two of them. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, you know, professional and professional or, hey, we got to work together, so let's make the best of it. You could see that the two of them genuinely liked each other, and, and, and off camera, they, they were good friends. Uh, and so, Hogan, I didn't see it, by the way, but I had heard about it, and it doesn't surprise me. You know, for all the negative stuff people can say about Hogan, I've, I've talked at length about this previously. You know, Hogan, uh, although not my cup, cup of tea when it comes to, to wrestling, uh, was an incredibly giving guy when it came to, like, sick kids, uh, the other people in, in the dressing room, and, you know, like, uh, like with Gene, working with Gene. You know, Hogan... I, you know, I'm sure there's part of Terry that would say, like, like I can't go out there and just outshine Gene because Gene could easily take the spotlight back good enough to, to be able to do that. But that they didn't do that to each other, I think, is more telling than the fact that they uh, had they done it to each other. You know, that, that they, they bounced off each other and augmented each other. And as a result of that, Gene Oakland will go down for all time as being for the tens of millions of us that consider ourselves wrestling fans in America. If you closed people's eyes and you played a tape of Gene Okerlund, they would know within three syllables. That's Gene Okerlund. That's mean Gene. Uh, I'm sure they'd be able to in time pick out the Jim Rosses and the, uh, the Gordon Solis and the Joey Styles and all the rest of them. But I, I, I have to believe in my heart of hearts that Gene Oakland would be the very first person that they'd be able to identify, just on sound alone of his voice. We could definitely talk about Mean Gene all night. I mean, there's so many great Mean Gene more, uh, memories and so many great Mean Gene stories and different things you could pick out from his career. But Shane, we do have to get on. There's so much to, to discuss with you. There's so many fans clamoring to hear from the franchise, so I, I gotta kind of move on, unfortunately, and talk about some other hot topics and some other things going on. Most importantly, the launching of All Elite Wrestling (AEW). Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and Tony Khan, the son of the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, Shad Khan, but also, I guess, you know, he's technically part owner as well. So, AEW is now having their really first show, Double or Nothing, in Las Vegas, May 25th. What are your thoughts on this league and your thoughts on an old friend, Chris Jericho, joining as well? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, look, it's it's always said, uh, you know, a rising tide rises all ships. And for the, the entirety of this podcast, and anybody that's ever heard me talk knows that I've been for a long, long, long time talking about the necessity for a real other 
promotion to get into this game. Uh, when I say real, we, we, you know, we can go into the, the thing of TNA of, you know, did, was it a real effort? Was it not? Was it a waste of money? Uh, but I've got to believe that with having Jericho involved and having Jim Ross involved and some of the names they've signed, uh, and the money that's behind it. And what I'm hearing is that the NFL is, is pitching money. Each team is pitching money into this in a way to combat Vince's attempt to come into re- to football with the XFL. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, that's a big part of the scuttlebutt that I've heard, uh, from, you know, uh, back channels. Um, irrelevant. It doesn't matter if that's a fact or not. The fact that you have a viable entity like the cons getting involved in wrestling and doing it through a Chris Jericho or in association with a Chris Jericho to Jim Ross instantly lends a credibility. And, uh, you know, I, I would dare say that we're going to see, you know, at some point, uh, another, without invoking the name just unduly, another Monday Night Wars, you know, that where wrestling was at its peak, at its pinnacle with the 52 million fans watching, like I've talked about how many times uh, per week in America alone. This is the kind of thing that can get those fans back to the table. Now, that said, I will issue this caveat. If it's going to be... Uh, uh, all Elite Wrestling, AEW, mimicking the WWE, uh, be, trying to be WWE. The same advice I gave Dixie Carter that she overlooked and never took. If they're going to try to be WWE 2 or WWE Junior, WWE Lite, uh, or WWE Maximum, they're going to fail. Uh, it must be something from a different vein. And it, the only thing that's going to bring those tens of millions of fans back to the table that have left is going to be to get it back closer to what professional wrestling is supposed to have always been and always was. Uh, we don't need to see more kids doing backflips for no reason. What we need to see is somebody creating characters that are compelling, giving us storylines that draw us to the edge of our seat, don't talk down to us, treat us like imbeciles, and then the execution in the ring. Those three things are not taken for granted anymore. It used to be you could see that with any great wrestler. Now, when's the last time you saw any of that invoked in a match? It's few and far between, if at all. So if they do something in that vein, I I would project that they're going to have a pretty good future. If they go into it trying to be the other sports entertainment company, I'm going to predict they'll fail miserably. The interesting part about this whole thing is that there hasn't been a TV deal announced yet. Chris Jericho came out and said a TV deal has been on the table, but not just one. There's a couple ones, and they're kind of negotiating to figure out where they want to go and different things like that. And he signed the greatest contract in the history of his career. Are you surprised that kind of a startup, an upstart, can afford Jericho, knowing kind of what he makes or the grand scope of what he makes, that they're giving him the best deal he's ever had, more so than what Vince gave him? and that there's all these other rumors of these huge names that are associated with this promotion. Well, if they're going to put the money into it, I mean, you know, the old saying is you've got to spend money to make money. That's, there's no truer comment in wrestling. Uh, 
uh, Chris definitely brings an acumen and, and a history with him. You know, and that there's something to be said for that. Um, the, again, I'll echo back to what I said a second ago. Uh, when I look at uh, Chris and, and Gene, uh, Gene, uh, Jim Ross, uh, they're both, they made their stake in WWE. And, you know, they've seen Vince just master the business. Uh, it, it would be hard pressed for me to see that they're going to take some different avenue. Uh, but, you know, Chris is going to be, he's going to earn every money, every, every cent that they pay him. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that they're paying him that because, A, you have to have a name that's going to bring the wrestling fans to the table. And Chris Jericho certainly has that. Uh, again, it's, you know, all the names associated, all of that, that that's, those are all important facets. But ultimately, the product is, is going to be what either sells or sinks the company. And so uh, I, for one, would be very curiously watching to see what it is they come up with. It's pretty interesting that an upstart promotion all of a sudden has Jericho, has the Bucks, who have a huge following, has Cody Rhodes, mm-hmm. who has not only a huge following, but, I mean, a lot, a lot of experience. And yep. obviously that last name, and he, he knows a lot more about the business than, let's just say, you know, a, a veteran that's been around a while. I mean, he seems like he's got the uh, acumen and the brains to be the executive vice president and run things. And he knows the production end. He, know, he knows the writing, the booking end. Do you think with these guys, and it is an upstart, it is whatever, but do you think they kind of almost already have a little bit of a leg up and almost have like a running start because not normal upstarts have those kind of guys with that kind of following sure. where it's just built in already. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those are things that have been sitting there, you know, and, and more, uh, uh, compartments than just one than the names that you've mentioned. Uh, and these are the things that when you've had a singular company like the WWE, uh, a monolith, that can decide we will use this person. We won't use that person. Um, you know, now suddenly you've got a battle again, that there's going to be a battle for talent. Uh, that makes those names that may not get along with Vince, uh, you know, may not get along with Hunter or somebody else in position of authority. Uh, it now allows them to take their wares and go someplace else. So very quickly, the the argument has gotten very interesting very quickly because, you know, for people that want to sit there and say, well, the WWE, nobody can combat them. Well, now you've got, uh, you know, a family with very deep pockets uh, plugging into uh, some pretty big names, very big names. And like with Cody Rhodes, for instance, you know, best thing Vince could come up with for him with the Rhodes name was Stardust because his brother had been uh, Gold Dust. And then the final ignominy was to, as Cody left, try to tell him he couldn't use his father's name. <laughs> you know, his father, the name that, that his father had made world famous. Uh, you know, I, I would dare say that Cody's probably got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder you know, towards Vince for some of those things. And now he's got, before it didn't matter to Vince, 
because there's no place else for you to apply your wares. Then these kids come out and they rent a, a, a pretty big building in Chicago and sell it out in, what, 20 or 30 minutes and put on a huge program, uh, a huge show, then turn around and, and go right into Vince's backyard and rent out uh, Madison Square Garden and sell it out uh, at the same time that Vince just did, what, 11900 after having not been there in a year. Uh, like I said, things has gotten pretty interesting pretty damn quickly, you know, with, with all of this. Uh, and it can only be good for the wrestling fans because, you know, now if you've got no competition, you can produce whatever it is you want to produce. If I'm a car company, I can put all, you can have any color you want as long as it's the color I'm putting out. Uh, but if now there's other car companies providing every color under the spectrum, now I've either got to compete with that or lose your business. Now suddenly Vince, who's, who's pretty much had the run of things of his own, suddenly now has another entity out there to deal with. Uh, back in when WCW started, you know, uh, doing pretty competitive, uh, and for what, 83, 93 weeks, whatever it was, uh, beat them in the ratings. Vince suddenly now had to offer something he had never offered before guaranteed contracts and never would have offered if he didn't have to. And as soon as WCW went under, stopped offering those guaranteed contracts. So you can see it's how with one more entity into this game, you know, suddenly the landscape has changed and changed dramatically. So, uh, you know, now, you know, it's no longer, uh, if I don't like you, I can just play whatever game I want with you or not do anything with you. Now i got to worry about whether those other guys come along and offer you a lot of money to leave here. Um, things have gotten pretty damned interesting with this announcement. I'm just thinking like exactly what you're talking about, how what they're doing now, what they've been doing is very ho-hum and they're just kind of, oh, if this guy doesn't get over, ah, so what? We're going to push him anyway. Or or yep. if, if this doesn't work, we're just going to do it anyway. Who cares? And we're going to put on horrible main events and horrible shows on the network because pay-per-views don't really matter anymore and they have the network. So, you know, it's funny. You know, like John Cena had, had such a long run, but there was no competition. If there was competition, I don't know if he would have had that long of a run. So, you know, like when Stone Cold came up, there's no way if there was no competition that he would have pushed a guy like Stone Cold who wasn't that, you know, like that generic uh, Hogan-like almost. Um, not that Hogan's generic, well, he isn't, but that like John Cena-esque kind of like uh, what he's looking for in his, you know, big muscular guy that, you know, looks great on camera. There's no way he would have pushed Austin because, you know, just the way his mindset is and what he wants. And it's usually that kind of boring white meat baby face kind of guy and, and the competition kind of forced it and Austin was so damn popular you had to give him a push and everything. So it's interesting now. I want to see his reaction with Cody and the Bucks and Jericho and Neville and all these guys start to gain momentum. I want to see what Vince does and who he pushes and who he doesn't and to see maybe creatively see you know what he's going to do because now it's almost to the point where, okay, you had no basically no creative for a while and you're kind of screwing these great guys and these you know great bunch of talent that's sitting they're, they're not doing anything. You know, it's just n terrible writing, terrible creative. So aren't you kind of interested in to see where he's going to push his limits now? Yeah, well, absolutely. you've got to be interested. I mean, because now, suddenly, like I said, the business has gotten very interesting 
with, with one announcement. You know, it, it, the, the people who I would think would be sweating big bullets right now, if I was one of those 20-something-year-old writers that came from Hollywood writing sitcoms, I'd really start to be wondering whether or not I should, should have bought this house for Stanford, Connecticut or not. Because if, let's just try to play this out of, you know, four or five moves down the road like a chess game. Let's say these guys launch and they get it right. And, you know, they, they're starting to bring those fans back to the table. And suddenly they're not just, they're not just you know, squeezing by Vince, but they're, you know, distancing themselves from the WWE. It now is going to force Vince McMahon to have to either acknowledge that his sports entertainment isn't as dominant as he thought it was and get it back closer to professional wrestling. And if he does that, how many of the guys that he has there are capable of, of delivering that? You know, bad habits are a very difficult thing to break, uh, especially in the business. When you've gotten used to doing a move a certain way, and you've done that for 10 years, if somebody suddenly now comes and says, no, stop doing it like that and do it properly, do it like this, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to snap my fingers and stop doing it the way I've done it for 10 years and do it the right way. Uh, you know, so, you know, again, this, this changes things so dramatically because without having that monopoly any longer, you now have to ask yourself, does the WWE have the wherewithal to know how to get it back to proper? And it's not just a question of deciding to get it back to a proper place. Can their talent then deliver to get it back to that? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of fa- this is like a slide rule, right? You know, there's so many moving parts to this that it's, uh, you know, imagine yourself that you've been in the WWE for the last 10 years, last five years, and you've followed the sports entertainment model because that's the ones that are the guys that are making the money and that's who's getting pushed and that's who's getting the airtime. Now, suddenly, this other company launches, assuming that they get it back to the proper name. And you're now being told to help write the ratings, help fix the ratings, and get the WWE back into a dominant position. And yet, you're at the same time, that's code speak for saying that you've got to break yourself of all the bad habits that you thought were the proper thing to be doing for the last five or ten years. Uh, it, 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 for a guy like me that understands this industry, it, it, it suddenly has gotten very very interesting because now we're going to see if the dominant company, the company that signs billion dollar deals, are they really what they claim to have been or did they just earn that, you know, just, just you know, receive that mantle because there was no other competition. Uh, I know where my heart lies and where my brain lies. And I believe it's because they've had no competition that they've been able to sit, sort of put it on cruise control and wherever we take it, we take it. Again, if you're a car company and, you know, people want white cars, you can have any white car you want as long as it's the black color that I'm putting out, um, which has pretty much been the WWE's approach to everything. Uh, now you've got not just uh, another company starting up, but another company uh, being uh, started up with, by a family with deep, deep pockets uh, with names like Jericho and Jim Ross that have a deep, extensive history in the industry. 
and some of the hottest young names out there today. You know, so suddenly, you know, things have turned very dramatically, very quickly. Now it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, AEW has a very unique opportunity. But again, you get one chance to introduce yourselves to the world. And if you do that, and in my estimation, for what it's worth, for my experience in the industry, if you go out, if they go out and attempt to be the other sports entertainment company, like I've said so many times, it's going to be pretty hard to out Vince Vince at being Vince. You know, if you want to come out and be a heel, it's, it's pretty tough to out Satan Satan, right? So if you're going to go out there and try to be the other sports entertainment company, I think you're, you're putting yourselves in a straitjacket that is giving Vince the upper hand advantage from the very beginning. But if they give the fans what it is the fans have been clamoring for, uh, wrestling back to wrestling, then I think they could kick Vince's ass and do so decisively. But the question is going to be which, which route they take. And, and obviously the big story is a lot to do with TV and when they, where they landed, different things like that. But I even think maybe even bigger story, and people might think I'm crazy for this, is where will Kenny Omega land? I know people would say, oh, you're crazy. You know, this is not like Hulk Hogan or something when WCW got Hogan and immediately elevated him. But Omega is super-duper popular. He is the best of that crew sure as far is. as entering-wise. He's the best of that whole crew. Um, he's main evented in New Japan, the you know, huge star in Japan, uh, was the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So, I mean, it's he is definitely a huge, huge get. And I've seen him on the uh, autograph circuit. I mean, he hasn't been in the States too much, but when he does those autograph signings, I know how much he got paid and I know how long his lines were. You know, it was a little bit of Beatle-esque. It was, it was crazy. So mm-hmm. what do you think about him and where he lands? Because... They are saying, and, and who knows if this is true or not, multi-million dollar offer from WWE, New Japan supposedly multi-million dollar offer, and then AEW, who supposedly made a multi-million dollar offer to Jericho, wants him very badly, and, and you know he's buddies with those guys. So where do you think Kenny Omega lands? But right now, if I had to bet, I'd say AEW. I mean, I, you know, are you going to go to a company and, and try to combat against your buddies? And... Uh, you know, unless he's giving them, unless Vince is offering Kenny Omega exponentially more money, which I, I couldn't imagine. Uh, but, you know, all you just said, you know, for all intents and purposes, Kenny Omega really is right now, he can really much stake the claim that he's the Hulk Hogan of his generation. Uh, he is that big of a name for this generation. Uh, anybody that's watching sports entertainment today, uh, even if they're not a WWE fan, it knows who Kenny Omega is. Uh, they're very familiar with uh, Kenny Omega's Japanese uh, matches and, and you know the other things he's done here in, in the states with the the All In Show and the, his own show that he put on in Florida. You know, so he's he's one of those names right now that is about as hot as any name that's not signed to the WWE right now. He, you know, he really is the hot commodity as far as the free agency goes. If I were Vince, I'd be offering him, you know, the key to the kingdom. Because if Kenny Omega signs with his friends, which is what I would expect, 
in AEW. Uh, now you've suddenly got a, a, a big problem for Vince. You know, here's here's my guys, my crew, and this is the crew that I've always got to bring back: Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, and Shawn Michaels and Undertaker and Mick Foley every WrestleMania because I don't believe my kids can sell that out. And meanwhile, this other company is starting up over here again with all the deep pockets and all the uh, perks that we've just talked about. And now, by the way, they also have all the hottest young names, you know. So, you know, if I were Vince, I'd be, you know, maybe, uh, you know, moving my stuff out of one of my mansions and, you know, giving, offering them the keys to the front door. Uh, but, you know, good for Kenny Omega, you know, that because I, I can assure you, that if if the the Khan family wasn't getting involved in this, that he would not be getting an offer from WWE, and Vince McMahon wouldn't give a damn about whether he had him or not. Uh, play it up for all it's worth, and choose wisely, because you know there's a chance to really change the direction in an industry where people thought for a long time there would be no change of direction. So. You know, is it? Do you want to become just another cog in a wheel, or do you want to become one of the names that helped start this other thing, this other entity that that changes the direction of wrestling? You know, I know the way I always thought. And uh, bottom line for Kenny Omega is that he's he's going to be financially set for life, regardless of the way he goes. The longevity is the question he's going to have to answer. You know, does he? get a one and done and live off of that or does he do it and change the industry and the direction of the industry and uh you know settle in for the long haul another big name just to throw out there i mean i'll make it this this huge especially given that he's in his prime right now and he's the guy to get it for sure but another name just to throw out there for you an old you know, a uh, guy that you've wrestled in the ring for, an old uh, rival, if you will. But Goldberg's name, because of Barry Bloom's connection to all this, Goldberg's name keeps getting mentioned. Are you surprised at all that, first of all, he's interested? And in, uh, maybe no. maybe even as a commentator, but are you surprised that he's being brought up? No, not at all. I mean, you know, again, if you're going to launch another entity, you want to have as many familiar faces as you can and you you know want to be able to do it in a way that can provide the rub to the other guys on the card and you know beckon back to those times when the fans remember those Monday Night Wars and those monster ratings that the two companies at that time were drawing and Goldberg is one of those names that does that you know so no it doesn't surprise me in the least and I think Bill would be a huge uh, asset for them to have involved. Now, I know Chad has been chomping the bit to ask you a, a certain question about a certain female independent talent and what she did. But you know, before you get into that, I just have to mention, I didn't when I saw this, I didn't even think this was a spot necessarily in my mind. I just thought, wow, this is something you know, really stupid and, and kind of. Uh, uncreative in a sense. It's almost like, wow, can you not wrestle? I mean, you're doing this certain nonsense that you, you can't do any wrestling moves. But anyway, Chad, I know you wanted to talk about it. Please, Chad, inform Shane. I know he may have seen this, but please inform Shane of what the hell's going on in the, the sport of pro wrestling. <laughs> 
Well, I remember ECW used to be called Extreme. <laughs> that, that's for, that's for damn sure. And there was a lot of blood in, in ECW. But Shane, I mean, this was last weekend where this blew up. This event actually took place in December and just started to hit the rounds uh, last weekend. And uh, it's an independent wrestler named Priscilla Kelly who has competed in WWE's May Young Classic. She's faced a uh, quite the backlash online for her her. Her viral stunt that involved pulling out her tampon and inserting it into her opponent's mouth. Now, Shane, there's a lot of people who can be on both sides of the fence of this argument, but dying to hear what you've got to say about uh, where they have gone in terms of the shock value of this spot. Well, I'll ask, I'll ask the question by asking another question. Where do they go from there? So what do you do in the next phase of that angle, the next phase of that match? Do you pull out two tampons? Um, do you pull out a bloody tampon, not being crashed? But, I mean, honestly, where do you go with that? I mean, it's, it's aside from being ridiculously and absurdly tasteless, uh, you know, there's uh, done properly. Our business is supposed to be a chess game. You know, so, you know, I move my rook, you move your rook, I move my knight, you move your knight, correspondence, and so on and so forth, pushing this, this program forward. You know, I, I am familiar with this, and I, I saw somebody asking, well, how's it different than, a, you know, somebody pulling brass knuckles or a foreign object out of their tights, a man? Uh, first of all, not everything has to be defined by political correctness. Let's just start with that. Uh you know, not everything is if you say something against it, that suddenly you're now anti-female and misogynistic or whatever else. Uh, let's just start with that. Um, so the difference of me reaching into my tights and pulling out, say, a pair of brass knuckles or a foreign object uh, or this incident, the difference is, uh, one, one's a pair of, brass knuckles or for an object. The other is a pretty ridiculous uh, uh, and, and extraordinarily crass uh, item. A feminine napkin, whatever it is you want to call the damn thing. Um, you know, so to somehow liken those two together, I guess would be the same thing as saying, well, if I wasn't if I pull out a gun or I pull out a pencil, um, considerable difference and to then say well it's the same thing and just sort of try to use linear logic which anybody's ever passed eighth grade uh, uh, math knows that linear logic is full of faults but using linear logic even if you want to go that route uh, to try to analogize this with something else from wrestling uh, in the past of, of say a heel pulling out a pair of brass knuckles or a, uh, uh, a foreign object. Uh, do, I, I think it's incredibly condescending to sit there and try to make the argument uh, or even give a lesson that there's a little bit of a difference of a pair of brass knuckles or a foreign object as opposed to a tampon. Um, and then to shove it in somebody's mouth. Uh, you know, it's obvious that with the shoving it in the mouth, that, that it was intended to be one thing and one thing only, uh, a shock value. Um, 
And, you know, I've done a lot of things in my career that, you know, that were written into the angle that, you know, sometimes I did on my own. But now speaking as a father, you know, when you look at the, the demographics and say the WWE and you see that this, their number one demographic is way up there in years, no longer the kids. But there's still a lot of kids in that audience. Uh, you know, somebody who would cut the fucking music and, and things like that and, and, you know, say some pretty vulgar things in my promos that were gauged towards a, a you know, primarily uh, adult audience. As a father now, I can tell you definitively that if my kids were watching something on TV and saw that, not only would they no longer ever watch that program again, but I'd be writing some serious emails and letters to the network. Um, so where do you go with it? I mean, that, from a purely performance standpoint, what's the next phase? Where do you, how do you top that? Like I said, you pull out two or three, then make them bloody. Uh, uh, then should a guy come on in a segment after that and pull out a used condom? And I mean, like again, like, you see how fast this devolves into ridiculousness. Um, but you know, again, this isn't just taking a pointed jab at that. I mean, we're talking at a time when it, we we see guys selling for quote unquote the invisible man <laughs> in the ring, uh, or selling a guy's penis in the ring. I, I, I mean, if this is really where my business has gone, then that's not the evolution of wrestling. That's the de-evolution of wrestling. You know, because any of us back then could have just said, hey, here, can we whip it out, right? Where do you go from there? What's the next? Next. What's the next big thing that you're going to do? Um, you know, so you've very quickly paint yourself into a corner. You know, ours is not just a question of getting people talking, because if that's the case, then we could do that very easily. I'll just, next time I go to the ring, I'm going to pull out a knife and stab my opponent right in the middle of the ring. That will sure so get people talking, but what's the next thing, aside from me going to jail? What's the next thing? If you were going to come out and wrestle me after I did that, would you want to step in the ring with me after I stabbed the last guy? What's the next thing? Where do you go from there? And if it's just, well, I hadn't thought that far ahead, then you're a dumbass. Because you've now painted yourself into a very serious corner, one that's impossible to escape from. From this point forward, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this person is going to always be compared to that lowest common denominator. So if she goes out and has a five-star match, the people are going to say, yeah, but remember when she did this? Um, because where do you go from there? How do you top it? How do you keep people talking? Um, you know, uh, again, we just off the top of my head, I mean, we can come up with a million scenarios how we can get people talking, right? If I go out there and, you know, pull out a gun and shoot you in the middle of the ring, or if while you're walking into the building, I just run you over with a car, um, no, it's going to get people talking for about 30 seconds. And then every, the, the, in the 31st second, they're going to say, well, it's been nice knowing Shane Douglas. He's going to prison. Um, you know, it's, it's not the getting people talking. It's keeping them talking. And if you can't come up with that next 
big phase, that next thing you're going to do. Uh, and you can't top that last thing you've done. And I'm going to say, I find it pretty hard to think you can top something this silly. Um, that's not a misogynistic statement. That's not saying it's okay for men as opposed to women. I'm saying it in mass, uh, the invisible man, the, the penis selling and all the rest of this stuff have gotten to a point where what's the next thing? How do you keep the fans coming back? If, if it's just, I'm going to give you the, the most ridiculously extreme thing that can ever be done. Okay, well then how do I get you back the week after I give you that? And, you know, none of them can answer the question because none of them have thought of the question because none of them understand the question because none of them understand the industry. It's not just the question of let's just go out there and shock everybody because that's easy enough to do with the examples I just gave and a million other things we come up with. What do you do after that? What is the next thing that keeps the people coming back? How is it that a guy named Dusty Rhodes, who certainly doesn't look like an athlete, uh, uh, certainly didn't have the best body in the business, but son of a bitch, goddamn, was he compelling to watch. He was electric to watch. And every week you watched him, he went out there and did something that mesmerized you to come back the following week. And the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. Uh, for, what, 30, 40 years? Uh, it wasn't just a question of going out there and saying, okay, let's just do something so crass, so perverse, uh, so outside the bounds of normal normalcy that will shock everybody and get them talking because then, like I said, what do you do next to bring them back the next time? And, you know, I'm going to say that two tampons isn't twice as uh, wow as one. Um, and three wouldn't be any different than one or two. So where do you go with it? You know, so, you know, I saw, you know, some of them were Taz had posted online saying, hey, you got people talking, keep it up or something like that. Uh, keep at it or whatever. Well, again, how do you keep at it? <laughs> what's, what's the next thing? You're going to pull out two, three, then four, then five or six, and then maybe add some blood to one when, before you do it, or fake blood, whatever. You know, At some point, it's, you've reached the bottom of the barrel. And uh, to me, I, I, would, I would say try a little harder. You know, work a little harder at it. Uh, to get people doing the wow thing, because it can be done. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to pull out a gun or a knife or a condom or a tampon. Um, work a little harder at it. And if you do, you'll be amazed at the places you can take it. But that, that kind of stuff, I think, is the, the kind of thing that has devolved wrestling to a point where people call it a cartoon, uh, now they're called, I guess, a pornography magazine, uh, or worse. Um, but how many parents are going to want their kids watching something like that? Because if you can't get the parents get letting their kids watch it, uh, and 
I would dare say there's probably a lot of people out there that don't want to watch that, whether they're a kid, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 years old. Um, you're turning people off. And for the one or two who might want to take up the argument that, wow, that was fantastic, that was so cutting edge, it was so creative, I would say there's probably going to be exponentially more people that say the counter-argument. And again, where do you go from there? What's the next step up? How do you continue pushing that forward? Um, it's a fail on all levels to me. It's a failure of creativity. It's lazy. Uh, it, it's, it's crass and vulgar. And, and crass and vulgar in and of themselves, uh, to me, especially from ECW, right? But again, we were gauged towards adults. Uh, hence the 1 a.m., 2 a.m. time slots. Uh, but even then, there were times, believe it or not, where, you know, you know, Francine and I would say, ah, we're not going to say that. Like, that, that's, that's a little bit too far outside the boundaries. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, and I can already hear the counter-arguments. So what about when Kamado want to lay a dance the top? Well, the difference of that was, it was a, a, probably close to midnight when that happened, a building full of 20-some, 20, 20, 30-year-old some people, uh, mostly men, and the power went out. Uh, you know, so it wasn't like Paul sat back and said, hey, let's cut the power at that time, and then we'll send Kimono on layout and have her dance atop the UCW arena. Um, you can already hear the counter-arguments coming back, and to those people, it's, it's the same thing we're seeing like in our national politics. I refuse your facts. Facts don't matter anymore. I like it. It makes me feel good. So that trumps your facts. Um, we're, we're just in a place where I guess, you know, and with the internet now, everybody has an equal voice, right? So you, you watch within 24 hours of this episode airing, they're going to see people say, well, what about this? Or what about that? And Shane's misogynistic or, you know, what? A typical old timer thinking this or that, right? You, you can already hear the counter arguments. I'll stick with my my original comment that I've said how many times in this piece. Where do you go next with that to keep selling tickets, to keep drawing ratings, to keep bringing people to the building? Because at some point, once you've given them all that, what's the next thing? Let's send a couple ladies out naked, a couple guys out naked. I got it. Let's send a mixed tag out, both of them naked, and let's just let them grab each other by the sex organs and throw each other all around the ring. But at some point, you reach the end point where there's nothing more you can do. And if it's just vulgarity for vulgarity's sake and crassness for crassness' sake, then you reach the end of the line pretty quickly. And, you know, I don't know this girl. Uh, if I've ever met her, I don't remember. I, I'm not trying to be condescending anyway. I just the name doesn't sound familiar to me uh, as having met somebody like that. But if I did, I would love to have a discussion with her, trying to explain to her what I'm trying to explain right here. Uh, that you know, your, our job as performers is to not just get this segment over that we're in tonight, whether it's in a independent show on a show on television, uh, at a huge show, uh, at WrestleMania. Our job is to entertain for that segment, but then 
to give the promotion and the fans something more to look forward to. What's the next thing? And I would dare say that nobody that's making the argument in support of this can answer that question for me. Oh, they can give me an answer. Uh, and I could quickly cut it to pieces. There's only so far you can go with that kind of stuff. And no matter how far you play it out, the way my industry has typically always played it out and done so with incredible veracity, uh, has done it in a way that it's drawn tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars over the decades, as opposed to one, two, three, or four moves down the road before you're finally out of moves. You can't do anything else. And once you've taken it that far, you can't now pull it back and say, well, now let's just go back to, like, for instance, we had the naked man and woman scenario, right? What do you now do the week after that? Okay, well, now let's put everybody in tights and boots again and put them in the ring, and we'll just take it back to wrestling again. Well, who wants to watch that if they've seen a man and a woman grabbing each other by those sex organs? <laughs> right? So, you know, I mean, you can see how quickly you reach a brick wall. And, uh, you know, it's anybody's job in any, any entertainment form is to keep the fans coming back because if, you know, if you're an actor, you don't want to just have a blockbuster on your resume. You want to have a blockbuster that launches you to several more blockbusters to keep that money coming in and keep bringing fans back to the theater to keep selling those tickets. Uh, wrestling is no different. Our job is to keep those fans coming back show to show, venue to venue, program to program, uh, angle to angle, storyline to storyline. Not just, okay, now tonight we're going to throw the nuclear bomb in the middle of the ring and Nobody will ever be able to top it, including us. So at the end of this program, we'll just put a great big the end. Thank you for your patronage. We'll see you someplace down the road. Because there's no place else to go with it. You painted yourself into a corner. She claims it was fake. She claims that it was not real blood. And for the sake of not, and especially with the time we're getting into in the show, not going to give an anatomy lesson here. We're not going to explain to you what would be in the potential uh, gimmick that she then bestowed upon her opponent? We're not going to get into that. But I had one person thank say you. to me, yeah, right, thank God. <laughs> not going to talk about that. Yeah. But I had one person say to me, and this is, uh, this is my final question before we hand it over to John again, a little Ask Franchise Anything. What would you consider to be the difference between this and something, say, the stink face, where, okay... You got blood, which is vile, but then you got somebody's, you know, asshole <laughs> protruding into your face. So would you be able to clearly draw a line between those two different things? Not that I personally would, because I, I think all of them are crass. Again, like, you know, I would then say that there's a bit of a difference of uh, a guy's ass with tights on sticking his ass in your face. Now, I would argue that like Vince McMahon having people kiss his bare ass would be very much in this same vein. So once you've seen it once or twice or three times, do you give a shit if you see it a fourth or fifth or sixth time? You've already seen it. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It shouldn't have been done. Uh, aside from the fact that it's incredibly, in my book, condescending to the people that you're making do it. Uh, and I personally would have never done it. Um, 
But yeah, there is a difference. You know, again, the only thing that the only tantamount that I can come up with from a male point of view would be if I pulled out a used condom and shoved it in somebody's mouth. Whether it's fake or real, that's irrelevant. Pretty much anybody that's watching wrestling, especially WWE, you're assuming that what you're seeing is not real. Um, that, but the connotation of what you're doing is clear enough. You know, when I watch a movie I, and somebody gets shot in the head, I see blood and guts blown out of their head. I go, oh my God, I hope that wasn't real blood and guts, right? It, you're watching it, you've suspended disbelief and you're watching it at face value. So to come out and say, like, let's, let's just give her at least some credit and say, well, thank God it wasn't real blood and it wasn't really a tampon that she pulled from we know where. Uh, thank God. But is that really any better? I mean, who? I was holding my breath all that time thinking that it might have been real. Thank God it wasn't. So now I get it. Um, wow. I mean, but again, I'm not going to sit here and go out and make this a this versus that argument. Uh, you know, like, well, stinky face is okay, and that's okay, and this thing that I did in previous in my career, those were all fine. This one thing is wrong. Um, I'm just saying just purely from a, a, a definitive standpoint in defining this and discussing this, where do you go with it from there? From stinky face, like in WWE, and again, I'm not, I feel like I'm not defending this, because I wouldn't defend it, but, uh, but in that case, again, WWE, you know, in that paradigm, the fans look for those, like here's John Cena with like the I can't see you right, or here's The Rock doing his uh, what did he call it when he would you know throw the hands down and you know jump over the guy twice and drop an elbow on people's elbow, um, you know the, the the way that Stone Cold or I mean uh, uh, Bret Hart was set up for the uh, sharpshooter, uh, you know these these things get set up in a certain way. I'm not defending this one versus that one or whatever. I'm just saying just purely from the standpoint of the definitions of what I've read on this is where do you take it from there? So do you think the fans will sit there and go, oh, great, here comes a spot where she's going to pull the tampon out and show in her opponent's mouth. I can't wait. Here it comes. Great. Okay, kids, watch here. It, it's a dead end. And there's no place to go from there, and there's no way to top it. Uh, because you've, you've reached the end of the avenue of taste. And when you get to that point, you're getting people tuning out, not tuning in. And if you've got people doing that, or people going, oh, here's that girl that does that thing with a tampon, let's change the channel or let's turn it off, you're probably not going to be making the kind of money you probably would if you had been a little bit more creative. So, I mean, it's, I, 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 maybe I'm not just, you know, it's, Describing right or using the right words to make it clear enough. Like to me, it's crystal clear in my head. I, I'm not sure if I'm enunciating it properly, but uh, I just don't know where you go with it from there. I mean, we, you know, we, again, we could all go out there and we're shocked by you to do something. Okay, I'm gonna, you know, come out here and pull out a knife and cut off my opponent's penis and whip it around the ring. That's gonna get people talking, but it's probably not gonna get me to my next main event. Um, so. How do you top it? How do you keep that ball rolling and keep the money coming in to where people are saying, I got to book that person because everybody's talking about her pulling her tampon out and 
whether it was real or fake is pretty much beside the point. It's the visual of what you're seeing and the connotation of what you're seeing. It is that time again. AFA, change your favorite thing, ask franchise anything. This time an email from Danny T. Did any of the mainstream promotions, and then in parentheses, UWF, NWA, WCW, ECW, WF, TNA, you were ever <clears throat> you were ever in, were they ever looking to bring in Dominic DiNucci for an angle, whether it was part of a storyline or in a tag match, etc.? Was Dominic DiNucci ever thought of to be brought in to be a part of an angle involving you? Um, there was... And I can't remember like how deep the conversations went, but uh, there was a time when Cody Michaels, uh, who was one of Dominic's trainees, um, came into ECW, and I wrestled him in the ECW arena. And there was some talk then... Uh, very esoteric um, with Paul about bringing Dominic in and, you know, maybe doing something around that vein. Uh, but, uh, God, it's like so far in the back of my brain. I, 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 I want to say that there was some, uh, I think the pushback was that Dominic was had always been a baby face and that I was a heel and that uh, they really couldn't find a way um, to work it in. But I, it, it, this was nothing that ever got to, like, major, um, you know, like, almost happened type of thing. It was just, like, an idea that was, like, kicked around. Um, and that was the only place it ever was. Uh, WWF, no, which sort of is surprising, considering Dominic's experience and, and length of time there. Uh, WCW, that would have been quantum physics for, quite honestly. They, <laughs> they just didn't think in those ways. Um, and the other smaller companies that I was with, uh, you know, Continental and uh, UWF, uh, there was really no talk there, but that, you know, I was just a kid, you know, you know that they were in the process of building. Um, so that, that was, other than ECW, I, and again, even there, it was just, you know, like a, you know, a, a few ideas, a few words back and forth never got to a point of let's let's explore this or, you know, see if Dominic would do it or whatever. But no, there was there was never any real push by any of those companies to do anything like that. And do you know what basically today when we were actually recording this, you know what today happened uh, 20 years ago? I think uh, if you saw it online, your buddy Taz had a nice little tweet about it. Uh, I saw it because you, uh, somebody uh, had screenshotted it and sent it. For, I didn't realize. I, you know, like I said, I, I'm sure in, in, in a career as long as mine, like every day something happened uh, of the calendar. Um, but it, was it, has it been 20 years already that, that Taz beat me for the title? Well, I don't know about beat you per se. You, you passed out. I, I mean, I guess you'd have to give him the win, right? I mean, you didn't really tap about you didn't give up or anything <laughs> yeah uh, but, well but I, I but i mean that, that it's been that long already it's surprising to me uh but i saw his 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 post uh and i've got to get on twitter tomorrow because i i had been offline and was out of the office by the time that i'd seen that 
just to respond to it. But I, I've been so honest about it. And again, I want to apologize to the fans out there because I have been so crazy. But just like a quick footnote for the fans, I hit a third deer in four years and uh, my car has been in the shop. And so I've been driving a rental and, uh, you know, all kind of goings on with my kids and the holidays. It's been an absolutely insane time. Uh, so I haven't been on Twitter other than just a quick hit and run, like get on there and mention, Hey, blah, 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 blah. And, and like literally log right off. Uh, I haven't had the chance and I've seen that there's like, I think today it was 484, uh, uh, things from yesterday, uh, you know, comments or tweets, Damn. uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so deep in the hole that I'm going to have to start like fresh and just move forward from there. But, uh, you know, apologies to the fans. I've not been ignoring anybody. I just haven't had time to be able to get on there and spend any meaningful time to interact with the fans. Uh, but I definitely am going to get on tomorrow to respond to Taz, uh, and, you know, try to answer a few quick questions and, you know, see if we can get that ball rolling again. Plus to, to push, you know, episode 77. Uh, but, you know, it, it hasn't been for lack of desire. It's just been totally for lack of time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been, you know, the, I thought after the holidays it would let up a little bit. But, you know, we're, you know, still running on this, like, it, it still feels like it's a holiday season to me. Uh, nonstop running. But, you know, I will get on there tomorrow and I will respond to Taz. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty class act uh, on his part, you know, to make the reference to that. And uh, to you know try to catch up with the fans, but again, I'm not ignoring anybody out there. But I, will, you know, want to try to start the year fresh now to keep to get back to where I was whenever I left off a couple months ago with with the uh, daily interaction on Twitter. And uh, hopefully tomorrow we'll be able to get started on that again. Get started indeed with the promotion of episode 77, which you're listening to right now. And if you want to join in on the fun and submit an email question like Danny T. You can head on over to the triple threat pod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. We really do love the interaction on there. Still, Shane, we're pushing to a thousand. Still haven't hit that milestone yet. We're almost there. But uh, please follow us at the three threat pod, at the franchise SD, at two man power trip, at wrestling pal. And you can submit all the questions in the world to your little heart's desire that we will get in the vault and ready for the franchise. We like to uh, dedicate a show to the Ask Franchise Anything every so often. But as we get started into a new year, I got a lot of stuff in my head. I know John and I will put our brains together, come up with some cool show ideas, obviously have some special guests at some point, and just hope for another huge year here on the Triple Threat Podcast. There was a lot to cover here, and this was a lot of fun. And Shane, I hope now you can uh, you can rest your head because uh, we, we finally got through these, uh, these topics that have been really burning a hole in our pockets here for the first uh, almost two weeks of the year. So happy to have you back and happy to move forward here in the new year. Looking forward to it. I mean, it's been, like I said, it's been crazy. And, you know, with all things we've talked about, like especially the AEW, and I think 2019 is going to be a big, big year for professional wrestling. Uh, as we've seen it numbers-wise on the decline, I think we've, we've scraped the bottom of the barrel, and now we're going to start to see some kind of rebound with that. At least that's my hope for 2019. So let's see as we move forward. But it, uh, I pretend big things in 2019, 
not just for the wrestling business, but for the podcast, and uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Number 78 and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. So, Shane, as we move forward here, you're going to kick off the year at some point. You're going to uh, step between those ropes. So what do you got going on in the world of the franchise? Hey, I got this coming weekend off again. Uh, looking forward to that. I'm going to spend some time with my boys again this coming weekend. But starting, uh, I think it's next weekend I head back out. Uh, we we did have a couple cancellations. Uh, one was uh, uh, through the untimely death of a promoter. Uh, and I had mentioned that on Twitter. Uh, that we, uh, you know, have some open dates. And for the fans that have been inquiring about, uh, for the promoters have been inquiring about dates, uh, because I haven't been able to get onto Twitter and respond to pretty much anything, uh, if you're inquiring about those dates, the best thing to do would be to go to uh, uh, Shane Douglas Booking, no S, Shane Douglas Booking at gmail.com to inquire for those dates. And, and like I said, I'm going to be on Twitter in the next few days and then trying to catch up. So if, if anybody has sent like a, a direct message uh, and I've not responded, you now know why. Uh, but there are a few open dates uh, in the rest of January and into February. Uh, so, you know, if one of them open is, is, is one of the dates you're looking for, like the best way to ascertain that would be to go to shandubbisbooking at gmail.com. Do it up, and you can have the franchise uh, franchise your uh, your your cards ass proverbial ass, and uh, in <laughs> in 2019. So yeah, that's enough out of us. You know, why don't you head on over to prowrestlingtees.com, pick up a franchise Shane Douglas T-shirt, head on over to figurestoycompany.com, pick up the action figure, and if Shane's coming into your town, make sure you get your butt there, and he will definitely uh, he will not disappoint you, folks. I know he's a heel, but he won't disappoint you. So uh, that's enough out of me, Shane. Take us out in the only way that you can, the franchise way to number 78. Welcome to 2019, number 77 out of the way, number 78. No tampons included. We'll see you here next week or get your ass franchise. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.